0: Welcome to the Radically Embodied Love Podcast. Get ready to enter the portal of your cosmic heart so you feel bliss, joy, and union within. With
1: each episode, you will learn practical ways to embody
0: love in your life
1: so it is felt and experienced.
0: Co-hosted by Nathalie Barbek and Jessica Falcon. Welcome to the Radically Embody Love podcast with Jessica Falcon and co-host Nazrin Barbic. We have a very special guest today, Maya Toll, who I'm so honored to have. She just released her newest book. I don't know if you're on YouTube, you can see it, Letting Magic In. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous cover. And she's here to talk all about magic. She's the <laughs> co-owner of Herbiary, a beautiful store in Philadelphia and Asheville, North Carolina. She's written five other books, I believe: uh, *The Night School*, and Herbiary and Bestiary. and was it Crystallary, Am I getting the name right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And *The Wild Wisdom Companion*. And *The That's Wild the Wisdom* one you're companion. missing.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That poor, that poor little book. Some people say it's the best book, and it just always kind of gets forgotten. It was it was actually the original title was the Wild Wisdom Almanac Mm -hmm. and my publisher changed it. And I'm like, you killed it, you guys. You just (laughs) killed it.
0: (laughs) Well, what about this title, like all about magic? I'm curious. Let's talk about what magic is before we go deeper into the book itself, because I think we might all have a different understanding of magic. What is it? How do you define it?
1: You know, for me, magic is is working with the unseen usually um, energy, you know, like just where things land in our body and our souls and our hearts instead of in our brains. You know, we're, we're very uh, intellectually focused as humans. And so being able to perceive with other parts of our being, I think is how we let the magic in.
0: Yeah. And in order to perceive with other parts of our being, we have to be in the other parts of our being, meaning be <laughs> in the body and be in the heart, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have to, to be able to see the world, not just through the lens of our mind. Yeah. And that, that can take some training, you know, that can take some um, rewiring of your of your being, to be able to do that. But we've all had those moments. You know, the example that I I like to use is uh, there was one evening I was driving home from work when I lived in the Hudson Valley and the Hudson River was in front of me and I was kind of coming over the mountain and the sun was setting over the river. And I just had that sense of like, (gasps) you know, that expansion of your heart and your whole being. I, I came out of kind of the dark shadow of the mountain, crested the mountain, and there was the sun just like, glistening okay. on the water and I could feel it in my whole body. And we've all had those moments where we feel something, we feel the landscape, we feel a moment. Um, and so teaching ourselves to recall those feelings, to live in those feelings more, to be able to um, sense, not just through our mind, but through that physical expansion, that feeling of like, wow, the world is truly wondrous. And, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you saw my eyes like go out the window because I live on the side of a mountain and the trees just slope down. And all I have to do is look out the window to remember that the world is truly wondrous.
0: Because nature itself is so magical. I mean, it's you know, I know that's one of the things you're passionate about talking about is, is just this, you know, and it's something we can so easily take for granted. And particularly if we are walking through the world head up, we're not in the receptive stance of taking in the world around us.
1: Yeah. So true. And I, you know, I think that if we had more of, um, not just a mental construct of the natural world, but that that deep awe that ability to feel awe from the natural world. I think that that would shift so many of our larger cultural conversations around climate change, around destruction of old growth forests, you know um around oil drilling we would We would be much more open to coming up with holistic solutions if we were walking around feeling that sense of awe for the world that we live in, the one that we were gifted, not the one we've created. you know, mm. We've created some pretty amazing things. Like whenever I feel despair about humanity, I look at what we've created. we're We're ingenious in our creations. Um, but the world was pretty friggin amazing before we did a dang thing.
0: It's like going back to the roots, right, of that original primal connection to the world around us, not as something separate, but as something that we're a part of, that we belong to, which is the opposite, I think, of what we're taught, you know, growing up, that so many people struggle with feeling like they belong. And I think it's in part, I know for me, part of my process of coming into myself was beginning to rebelong to the earth. And I'm curious if you always felt that connection to the earth or if that's also something that you came into feeling and belonging with.
1: So I always felt a connection to animals. I was a horseback rider at a very young age. So I had that kind of connection to something outside of humanity, but the sense of being connected to the earth itself, to kind of the more of the entirety of the earth to, to feeling like I was a thread in the larger fabric of this weaving that is all of us and everything that, that came much later. Like that was something I had to um, go through a process of, of unlearning and relearning to begin to feel that sense of, of connection. But it was something I was always searching for. I I read E.M. Forrester as a, as a teenager and the, epitaph on our epigraph writing graph right um the epigraph on howard's end is only connect Hmm. and i've carried that forward with me through the decades this you know idea of of searching for connection and if we can only connect then something different can happen Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm
0: and that process of like becoming and unbecoming that you talked about, I know that that's actually a memoir of becoming. And so I'm curious if you could talk about it. I haven't had a chance to read the entire book yet because you just released it two days ago um, on June 27th. This will come out a little later, but June 27th it came out. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that becoming process, the unbecoming becoming process for yourself and what that what that looks like overall.
1: Well for me personally I don't know that I can speak to it overall
0: <laughs> I mean overall for you yeah cuz oh, I don't instead yes. of going into all the stories that everybody can read like overall for you what that has been like if there's a theme or yeah so
1: I think for me you know the interesting thing about um becoming so, like something new and yeah. someone new kind of going through that initiatory process um, in our culture, we tend to think that if we are going to become something, we have to to really hardcore do. We have to do, we have to achieve, we have to um, strive and and kind of expand. And what I have found over and over again for myself is that in order to go through an initiation into the next stage, I actually have to let go. I have to release, I have to unwind. That the process always begins with shedding off whatever is not right for this next step. Mm -hmm. And so I really first began to grasp at that lesson during the time period that I write about in Letting Magic In. Um, It had happened at other times before, but I hadn't understood it. And so, at past times in my life, when I went through these kind of initiatory moments where I was leaving one part of my life and stepping into the next, um, I really resisted. I fought. I I tried to inhibit the the growth and the change because it didn't feel like growth. It felt like loss. And. During the time period in this book is when I realized like, oh, that, that loss, that loss of things, identity, control, all of those losses allow you to become something else. I've, I've always been fascinated with butterflies. When they go into the cocoon, I I would think if I was just thinking about it with you know, in goes the the caterpillar, out comes the butterfly. That but like that little caterpillar goes in and it hangs out in there and it grows its wings. But that's not what happens. If you cut open a cocoon, what's inside is DNA soup. The caterpillar completely goes to mush. And then it comes out as the butterfly rebuilt from that DNA soup. And and we need to go through a similar process. We need to let ourselves go to DNA soup in order to become the next thing. And it goes against like every ingrained teaching of our modern culture to let ourselves do that.
0: It really does. And I know for myself, every time I've gone through that mushy DNA, formless, <laughs> losing stage, it's my biggest struggle. And I'm curious if it's been similar for you has been all of the external expectations that I've had to you know, resist of we should be producing, you should be doing you, this is how it's supposed to be looking, or you should have this immediate success or, or you shouldn't be letting go of these things society tells you to be letting go of. And that process of unbecoming in this culture is not recognized as an essential piece, because we have a very unhealthy way of looking at the world from this You can call it the patriarchal lens of just keep doing, 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 growing, growing, growing. And that's not the reality of nature. It's not the reality of our bodies. It's not the reality of my own experiences. It sounds like yours either. So has that been a similar process for you or what were the biggest challenges you faced in letting go?
1: You know, those were definitely challenges and I have a little bit of a rebel soul. So I had a little bit of a like, hey, you want me to do this? (laughs) You know, um, so for those of you who are listening and not watching, I made the gesture. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, so I I think that there's always been a piece of me that pushes against societal expectations. And so for me, I think that the hardest thing was the, the sense of giving up control. You know, like all the things that I could hold on to were things that I was trying to control. And so here's the secret, y'all. If you're a control freak like me, you have to get on board with the going to soup because then you're like, oh, yeah, I am going to DNA soup. I am unwinding everything and I'm participating. Therefore, it's not out of control because I've chosen to be in this and I'm helping. And that shifts everything.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When you're in there saying like, oh yeah, I'm in a season of letting go of unwinding. Um, I'm going to unravel myself. I'm going to join this dance actively instead of having it done to me, instead of feeling like You know, the world is not behaving the way I wish it would. Um, It really shifts everything. You know, think about the moment when you acknowledge an energy you've been in for a long time. Like, for instance, if you've been in a relationship that, like, you just know in your heart is not going to last. You're like, it's not going to last. And you're like, well, but... We have kids together, or we have a house together, or I'm too old to find somebody else. And so you tell yourself a story and you hold on and you hold on and you hold on. And then there comes a moment where something happens, either the other person leaves you or you finally reach a breaking point. And oftentimes the first thing you feel is relief. You're like, oh, okay, there's a lot to handle. There's a lot to do. My heart's a little broken. And that energy has been building and building and building and building. And it's a relief to just acknowledge the elephant in the room. So I think that when we step into the dance of releasing, we get to that relief moment a heck of a lot sooner.
0: And as you were saying that, I was visualizing when we're holding on, we're clenching, right? There's so much tension and it creates stagnancy because there isn't that natural flow, that natural movement when we try to control and energetically we're blocking the new from even coming in when we're not willing to let go of what has been. Yeah. And as we, the other thing I want to highlight is when you said the choice point, because so often we forget right? We have this choice. And for me, I see choice as that's the empowerment. When we remember, despite the external, despite all of these things, I can choose right, how to respond. I can choose to be in my power here. I can choose to reclaim and and be with my deep truth no matter what. And that choice point, I feel so many of the reasons I haven't made it or I see you know, clients or other people around the world not making those choices, not wanting to make them as fear. They're so afraid because when we let go of control, well, control is rooted in fear. We only control what we fear. And so when we let go, we're so afraid. And how did you confront these fears or move through these fears or remain in that choice point through what you faced? You know I think that when we when we get up to the edge of the cliff and we're
1: struggling and fighting eventually we either fall over or get thrown over there's no control right the world is crumbling the edge of the cliff just crumbles under your feet and off you go but when you walk up to the cliff and you unfurl your wings or pull out your parachute and jump that is a choice. You are in your power. You're in control. You're still going over the same cliff, but you're going over in a whole different way. And so for me, the you know, when you say, "How did I get over that fear?" I got over that fear by realizing that I could remain in control of my own life by actively participating and joining in this unraveling i could take a swan dive over that cliff and whisk out my invisible parachute and go gently gently gliding down and and that's a moment where something else can happen i didn't know what was going to happen you know but i could enjoy the ride in a way that i would never have if I had just let that cliff crumble and gone crashing.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you were choosing to take that leap, right, whether it be through growing the wings or on the parachute, makes me wonder, you know, sometimes because the question in the mind is, well, what if that falls? What if I start to fly and I fall? Or what if I can't fly? Or what if something happens to the parachute, right? There's, there are always these, these fears that will, the mind will always find, right, these fears, these, these ways to resist the growth and expansion that is really part of our birthright, that is really part of being human unless we stop it. And I'm curious, for me, I feel when I have fallen, when I have taken a leap, and I have fallen because that's happened for me where I've, I've taken the leap thinking I'm growing wings. And actually, I just fell into the depths of even more darkness, right. And I know you talk a lot about like that going into the darkness in your memoir, and maybe falling is actually the medicine, maybe in those moments falling is exactly what the soul needs falling is the medicine falling is what brings the magic and i'd love for you to share your deepest moment in which you fell and you were in that darkness if how you saw that as part of your medicine and your journey
1: so in the book i talk about these moments where um i began having visual hallucinations i began seeing manifestations of darkness, um, and evil. And you know, what, what I did in that moment was I took it to someone wiser than me and said, like, what's, what's going on here. And what was explained to me was you get to choose how you are going to allow your thoughts and your feelings and the energies that you're, that you're sensing to be interpreted by your brain. And so if you want to go down the path of visual hallucinations, go for it. But if you don't, then you need to say to yourself, you know what? This is not okay for me. This is not how I want to experience this energy. And you need to create a different flow channel for it. And so I came up with other channels, other ways of letting that type of energy move through me. Because basically what's happening is you're sensing something out in the world. Your brain is turning it into a pattern that it can recognize and you can recognize. Um, if you're a visual person, seeing things is, you know, part of part of like the language that your brain is very good at. And so you might see things in a dream. You might see things in a daydream or on like a a mystical um, journey or in meditation, or you might start having visual hallucinations. Um, Now, obviously, if you're having visual hallucinations because of a chemical imbalance in your body, what I'm saying is not going to apply. But if you're channeling a lot of energy And it's coming out as kind of those visual hallucinations. You can redirect that energy. And so I do a lot of like writing and burning, like just getting the crap out and throwing the piece of paper in the fire. Um, More than anything else, I think I need to acknowledge when I'm running a lot of energy, like when the world's coming at me fast and hard I need to acknowledge that and find a way. And it can be so simple. I can like plant my feet on the ground and envision sending it down to the earth. It doesn't have to be some great big thing. It's more acknowledging to yourself that this is happening. And here's where I want all this excess input, because really that's all it is. It's just input. Here's where I want it to go.
0: What I really hear in what you're saying, which is so magical, and it connects (laughs) to magic is we don't have to do it all alone. And we don't have to hold it. Because you talked about, you know, burning and giving it to the fire, or releasing it down to the earth. Another could be cleansing in the river or taking a shower and using the water, or breathing in fresh air or doing breath work or movement, right? So to move the energy and and that orchestration and working with the elements is, right, is magic, is, is how we start to attune to magic. And I'd love to talk a little more specifically about that connection between the elements and magic, because you're also an herbalist and, and have written a lot about herbs. And that's another part of how we work with the elements and magic. So I'd love to hear a little more about that.
1: Yeah, you know, the elements are one of the the oldest um, tools, I think in our magical toolbox. Um, the, the history of the elements is kind of fascinating and I go into it in my last book, the night school. Um, but this is, this comes from the ancient Greek philosophers who were sitting around trying to figure out, uh, what the universe was made of. What were the building blocks of the universe? And they tried all different things, And they finally came to the conclusion that these four elements were the building blocks of the universe. And sometimes um, throughout history, there's simultaneous discovery in different places. So you have the Greeks talking about the four elements. And then in like um, Asia, you have what became traditional Chinese medicine talking about five elements in Ayurvedic medicine. um, You have, the three doshas, which are based on five elements. So there was this simultaneous discovery going on around the world. And I'm sure that that other cultures could be tracked into this where like everyone was asking, what are we humans made of? What's the universe made of? And how do those two things interact with each other? So all your early medicine was based on these theories of the elements within you becoming out of balance or the elements without you affecting the elements within you, right? So, you know, when we say we have a cold, the whole reason we say we have a cold is because it used to be thought that the cold, literally cold air, um, you know, the element of air when it was cold. And if you study Chinese medicine the the element of wind which is also a form of air would blow into you and it would chill you and you'd get all cold um so you know the the roots the roots of some of our our naming of things goes back to these elements and if you know chemistry you know that Earth, air, water, and fire are not part of the periodic table. We've we have gotten rid of this idea that um, the four elements are the building blocks of all things. Um, and yet they they hold our romantic minds in a way that like an atom doesn't, you know. So um when you're thinking magically, sometimes tuning into the elements is a great way to begin or a great way to enhance uh, where you're going. Like what's the balance of the elements in a situation? You know, if you're screaming at a friend, what elements are present? Fire, passion, the screaming, the air blowing through your vocal cords. So if you need to calm yourself down, you could go to the opposite elements, earth and water. And if you just think about this logically, if you're in a tizzy, you might go take a bath. <laughs> you might go stand outside and just breathe with the trees a little bit. Like these are, are things that we do naturally to calm us down. Um. So I, you know, I love working with the elements because I feel like it gives us a chance to infuse a little bit of magic into, into very everyday situations. You don't think of having a fight with a friend as something magical or something that you can infuse with magic. But when you start to look at the elemental um, implications of what's going on, you can then see how you can bring a little bit of magic into this moment to transform it into something else.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm really passionate about is this split we've created between spirit and matter, which is really what I hear you saying. And then in ancient times, it was recognized. It was understood that there was no split, that spirit was contained in matter. All matter contained spirit, whether that be human, like the person containing spirit, soul within, whether that be a plant, an herb growing, whether it be the elements themselves, they were all recognized as divine. And this split really separated us from the magic of the natural world. Yeah. And I remember hearing you talk in your book release the other day around something you also share in your book: this questioning of you know when this split took place. We this one male God was put in the sky instead. And we were told, well, no, this is the God and spirit is only up and out of the earth. Spirit is out of the body. Spirit was also deemed out of woman at the same exact time. And struggling against this worldview that we've, we've had collectively, regardless of our individual disagreement, we've had collectively for five plus thousand years. What was your way of Growing up in a Hebrew school, growing up in a Jewish family, what was your way of separating from this worldview? I know this is a big question, maybe even just a small, you know, shorter answer. It's probably quite complex, but separating from this worldview and coming into that reconnection to magic and nature.
1: Yeah. So, you know, this was a decades long process for me. Um, Excuse me. I had to separate first, you know, I really had to kind of just snip the cord and sever myself from organized religion. Um, And for many, many years I said, I'm an atheist. And I think in terms of the way the organized religions treat God, I'm still an atheist Um, in terms of the way people who are perhaps spiritual but not religious treat the word God, then I'm not an atheist. Um, but I I really, I had to put down this concept of um, a male figure in the heavens judging me, smiting. <laughs> you know, um, that just frankly wasn't something I was interested in and it made me very angry at religion in general, you know, um, it, it doesn't take much of a knowledge of history to see the role of religion in every major world conflict we've ever had. So for an institution that is supposed to promote love and peace, um, it's promoted an awful lot of hate So my, you know, my first step was really disconnection. Like just, I am unplugging from that. That is not me. That is not okay. That is something that I am. I I, I think that like the best way to say it is I'm disappointed in, you know, like I felt like there was a promise there and a promise that I desperately wanted. I wanted a spiritual life. I wanted to, to feel a life of the soul. Um, and I did not find that in, um, the Jewish faith of my childhood. So the first thing was just disconnect. And then from disconnect over a long period of time, I began to find what I did believe in, you know, like where I could put my faith, um, And one of the things I still feel very strongly about is I I am a creature of language. I'm I'm a writer and I don't feel like we can give each other divine words. You know, the whole liturgy, the prayer book, um, that's one person's or prayers are often written by different people. So a conglomeration of people, but each prayer is one person's um, praise for what they see as divine and their words are not going to work for me. In fact, my own words from yesterday are not going to work for me today. You know, I think that, um, part of how I define divinity is creativity. There is, there's that like spark of creation. And so part of how I can participate in that and, um, be in awe and joy of that is to also be creating like, so to be creating in the moment, the words of love and praise and prayer um is part of how I can feel a sense of that awe and divinity. Mm. Um, and, you know, from that place of, of kind of creating my own practices, creating my own, I don't even want to call it a belief system because I don't think there's any system to it. It's, it's pretty loosey goosey. Um, But from there I could then look back at religion, not just the one I grew up with, but all religion from a much less angry place and from a place where, you know, I could see that like if other people were getting the feeling that I was getting, from my self-created practice, from religion, then I could kind of see why they were why they were in, because it's something we need as humans. We need that sense of there being something beyond us, you know. And and once I got to that place, then I could look back and really see what's beautiful in all the different forms of uh, practice and faith that we have found for ourselves over the years. Mm -hmm. I still think that they get distorted and used in ways that are not true to their core principles. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, doesn't that happen to all of us truthfully?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things you shared is, we have to you know we want to so many of us connect to something beyond ourselves to connect to something larger than just this this physical form we find ourselves in or this this limited mind but something so much bigger something so much more magical something so much more special and and coming into that for me i see the heart as the portal to that you know the heart is the bridge to the other worlds the heart is the bridge to the world around us that point of union the heart is union and as we connect to that natural world, we connect to the magic within and without, all around us, because it is that union, that communion with something beyond ourselves that creates and is the living magic. And as we wrap up today, I, I'm this letting magic in, a memoir becoming, I would love to know, because so much of what you shared is in more depth in the book, but Beyond that, why would somebody pick up this book? What do you want the reader to receive from the sharing of your story?
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a fabulous question. Um, I really hope to lay a breadcrumb trail for someone who's on a mystical path that isn't sure where they're going. And you're not going to go where I went, but it's nice to see some signposts you know, along the way. And um, I I truly believe having seen so many people walk through their own spiritual doorways, that the signposts are often the same or similar enough that we can learn something from each other's journeys. The specifics are going to be totally different. So like, you just have to, you know, not try to take the specifics on as, as something that's going to relate to you in particular, but um, the larger guideposts you're going to see resonance with your own, with your own path and your own journey. Um, It took me many years to be able to write this book. This is my sixth book. I had to teach myself to write well enough to be able to write this book. And so, you know, I really hope that through all the other pieces of writing that I've done in the past decade, I've gotten to a way of languaging that is relatable for someone else. I think oftentimes in the beginning, when we first start writing, we're writing for ourselves and it takes a while to to turn it into um, a communicative skill where we're really able to write for someone else.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I can relate. I think for the on my own book, you know, it, I was writing for myself for at least, you know, the first several years, and it was a completely different process to then write for another person and to bring that forth because in the sharing of your story, there is so much wisdom that the reader can receive and take in and let deliver its own magic just through the reading of the words and And there's also magic in knowing that you're not on this path alone and others have walked this and there's there's a way out that your unique soul is going to bring you to. And I feel like your book is a guide for those that are on this mystical path of seeking magic to really claim that this is a worthy path, that the path has blessings that go beyond what we might be able to see with our physical mind into a deepening of who we really are, which is priceless. Yeah. So- yeah. And I think it's
1: what we're all looking for, you mm-hmm. know, that feeling of just being able to settle and ground into ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is the key to everything. Everything in our life is based on this inner relationship, everything, everything, everything. So where can people find your book? Where can they find you?
1: Um, you can find the book wherever books are sold. So that's easy. And you can find me <laughs> <laughs> on my website, which is just my name m a i a t o l l L.com.
0: Beautiful. And we'll put a link in the show notes so that you can find the book, find Maya and letting magic in a memoir of becoming check it out. And it's a page turner. You're really going to love it. It's beautiful writing. So thank you so much, Maya, for being here today, for sharing your wisdom, your time, your magic with our audience. (laughs) We appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Bye to you all.